0: Well, good morning, and a good New Year's morning to you. I keep forgetting that. Is this on? Can you guys hear me? Can you hear, can you hear me, Stephen? Okay. As long as everybody can hear me but Stephen, that's fine. It's great to see everyone out, both our members and our visitors alike you know, it's not uncommon this time of the year to hear somebody say something like, Happy New Year to you. I think I, I think I may have started the sermon saying that. Or maybe it's something you'll hear on the radio if you hear one of the two or three New Year's Day songs that exist. And I got me thinking, you know, what makes up a happy new year? Like, what does a happy new year actually entail? Is it just that, like, you know, good things happen Maybe that's part of it, but I was thinking what our role as the church was in ensuring that the other members here, that the church as a whole, had a successful and happy new year, and so I started thinking through a lesson, kind of sketching out a lesson on the importance of encouragement as we go through 2023. But then Mr. Don gave a better invitation in five ten minutes about encouragement than I could probably do in a whole lesson. Ruined my entire plan. So what we're gonna do instead is we're gonna look at perhaps the most famous encourager in the Bible. We're gonna look at Barnabas some this morning, and we're gonna see what made him so good at encouragement, and then we're gonna see what we can apply to our lives from his example, and maybe see how we can help each other achieve this happy and encouraging new year that we talk so much about. So if you would turn with me to Acts chapter 4, that's where we'll start this morning. And we'll hit a lot of verses in a lot of different places in Acts, kind of rapid fire, because there's a lot to cover in Barnabas, and no one chapter kind of sums it all up. And then we'll try to throw it all back together in the end. So if you're with me in Acts chapter 4, we're going to read verses 36 and 37 for now. It says, Thus Joseph who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And here we have our first real introduction to Barnabas. And on the surface, it doesn't really look like we're given much information. Really, he's only kind of thrown in here to give a little bit of context for the story that comes next, Because in chapter 5, we have the story of Ananias and Sapphira. They lied about the percentage of money they were giving to the church, and they were struck down by God for their sin. And so sometimes we kind of write off this little part about Barnabas as just kind of a little introduction to that greater story. But I think that it's more than that. Because I want to think about the Barnabas nickname for a second. Because Barnabas, he wasn't born called Barnabas. It says he was born called Joseph. Well, the problem with being called Joseph and being a Jewish male in the first century is that most men were called Joseph in the first century if you were a Jewish male. It's a very common name. And so to distinguish him from the myriad of other Josephs, they gave him a nickname. It says Barnabas, so it translates loosely to son of encouragement. And we'll talk about that idea of being a son or daughter of encouragement a lot in this lesson. But I want you to think as we kind of read through these verses, what does it take to get a nickname like that? I don't think that happens by accident. I don't think that somebody just kind of looks at you on a first go round and says, yeah, you kind of look like a son of encouragement. That's not the kind of nickname that happens by accident. So as we read these verses about Barnabas... As we really think about who he was and what he did, I want you to be thinking about what did he do to earn this nickname? What did he do to be associated so strongly with the idea of encouragement? But what I want to mention from Acts 4, the first thing I think we really see about Barnabas is that he's voluntarily giving up his property and giving the money to the apostles for the work of the church, for needy saints. He, and he's not trying to hide anything like we see in chapter 5, as Ananias and Sapphira were. So the first thing we see about Barnabas, the first kind of clue that we get about him is that is a generous, uh, self-sacrificial kind of a person. That's the first clue that we get. If you want to turn with me to Acts chapter 9, that's where we'll do our next bit of reading. And for a little bit of context, I'll just say we haven't read anything about Barnabas really between Acts 5 and Acts 9. There's not anything about him there, at least not very much. And so now we're going to move into what he's probably best known for, which is being a companion of Paul. But as you know, that partnership didn't exactly have an easy start. Because we always think about Paul as the established great member of the church who was an apostle and he wrote all these letters and that's all true. But Paul, or Saul as he was known at the time, was not known for any of that. He was known for persecuting the early church. But in the early part of chapter 9, Saul converted. And since his conversion, Paul spent his time in Damascus talking to Jews in the synagogue and proving to them that Jesus is the Son of God. You can see that in, I think it's verses 19 through 22. But the Jews in Damascus didn't like this new Saul. They didn't like him after his conversion. And so they sought to kill him. He very quickly went from the persecutor to the persecuted. And so he had to make an escape and appeal to the Christians in Jerusalem. And this is where Barnabas re enters the story. Because, like I said, we all think about Paul as this strong Christian who brought the gospel far and wide to the Gentiles and he wrote all those epistles. He's one of the heroes of our faith, we sometimes say. But that's not who this Saul is. Because this Saul is a recent convert. He's not very well established in the church. He's he's a murderer. He's a threat to the Christians in Jerusalem and to the cause of Christ in general. And he's also despised by the Jews at large. You see, this is a very vulnerable time in Paul's faith. And the Jerusalem Christians were naturally pretty wary about having this Paul guy as a part of their congregation, which is pretty understandable, because all they know about him are all these bad things he's done, all these things he's done against the church. And you want me to believe that that guy, out of everyone, that guy is the one that's going to try to come be a part of our work. And that's when Barnabas comes to Paul's aid. Let's pick up the story, if you're in Acts chapter 9. Let's pick up the story in verses 26. Yeah, let's just start at verse 26. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples there, that he is Paul. But they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was truly a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles... And he declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And we'll just stop there for now. So what do we see about Barnabas here? What is Barnabas doing that we could call encouraging? Encouraging. I think the most remarkable thing, the most obvious thing is that Barnabas is willing to come to the aid of a former murderer and an active threat to the church. He's willing to give that guy aid and defense when he needs it. And I find that incredible because I don't, I don't think we, near, we think about that nearly enough because we all know this story. We all know what Barnabas does here. And we say, of course Barnabas does that. Of course Barnabas helps Paul. He's literally Paul. He's an apostle. That's what a good Christian would do. But I want you to think, how easy would it be for Barnabas to kind of take a step back and say, hey, Paul, you made your choices. I can't really help you here. I'm not scared of you. I don't hate you personally. But this is not really my fight. Because it's not. Objectively, it's not. Why should Barnabas come to Paul's aid? The best decision for Barnabas to make for himself is to distance himself from Paul. Barnabas already had good standing in the church. Barnabas was already well-liked and well-respected. The easiest and most natural thing to do is for Barnabas to just keep up appearances and let Everything fall with Paul where it may. But that's not what Barnabas does. Barnabas chooses to stick out his neck for Paul and is willing to vouch for him and his conversion. What if Paul's conversion really wasn't legitimate? Do you ever think about that, we know the end of the story. We know it was. But, But Barnabas doesn't know that. Not for sure. What if Paul decides after his conversion, mm, this whole Christianity thing's not really for me? I'm going to go back to being who I was before. What happens to the Jerusalem church then? Going to be arrested, persecuted, maybe worse. What happens to Barnabas then? Because whatever Paul does, that blame is going to come back to him. It's a lot riding on one man. And there's not much upside, seemingly, if you're Barnabas, outside of just doing the right thing. But he chooses to do the right thing. He chooses to defend Paul to the brethren. Now, if you would turn with me just a few chapters over to Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, and we'll read verses... 19 through 26. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, and of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and so they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord." So Barnabas went to Tarsus and took Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So here, Barnabas is trusted by the apostles enough to honestly report about the church in Antioch. Because they hear about this church in Antioch. They hear that they're preaching to the Hellenists. And, and the apostles kind of want to see what's going on. And they decide that of all the people that they probably had around them, that the one that they could trust to review the work in Antioch was Barnabas. And when Barnabas goes over there, he's excited by the work. says he encourages them greatly. He bolsters their faith, strengthens the work there. And then he brings his friend Paul in to share in that work with him. And why was he trusted to do all of this by the apostles? It says because he was a good man, full of the Spirit and full of faith. I tell you what, there's not many things that the Bible can say about you that's better than that, is there? And for most of the rest of the record, Barnabas kind of becomes a little bit of a sidekick character for Paul, at least in the narrative acts. He kind of fades into the background a bit, although he's mentioned in plenty of other places, and maybe we'll read some of those verses later. It's mostly in relation to his work with Paul. So I kind of want to stop there with the story of Barnabas, and I want to look a little bit about how we can imitate Barnabas and his encouragement as we come into this new year. So let's talk for a bit about what encouragement actually is. What would make you a son or daughter of encouragement? Because one, sometimes, you know, I think we have this idea that encouragement is just saying a few nice words here and there. And sometimes it is, right? Sometimes it's just saying, you know, nice haircut or great job song leading or whatever it is. Those are encouraging things. They're great and helpful things. But if we leave encouragement at just a few nice words here and there, we miss the full idea of what encouragement actually is. We miss a lot of what Barnabas can teach us. And the first thing I want to notice about this encouragement that Barnabas shows is that it's self-sacrificial. Barnabas's encouragement is generous. And we saw that at the very beginning of his story when he sold a field and he gave it to the work of the church. I don't have to tell you guys how valuable land is. You guys all know that. But it's actually more valuable in the time where Barnabas did that because it's estimated, and we don't know for sure, but it's estimated that maybe 10% of ancient Romans, 10% had land at all. That's not a lot. Having land puts you in the very upper class, just in and of itself. And so how big of a deal is it that Barnabas took his land And he sold it for the work of the church. That's a pretty big deal. But it's not just that, is it? Because what else do we see about Barnabas? How much of a sacrifice is it to defend Paul? How much of a sacrifice is it to dedicate your life to the teaching of the gospel and the encouragement of the brethren? That's a lot of sacrifice. And Barnabas did all that. Barnabas' encouragement started, at least as far as we have the story of him, with him giving of himself to the work of God for the church and for the brethren. But it's not just Barnabas that's called to do that. And this is where the story gets a little bit uncomfortable. Because we like reading about people like Barnabas and all the great things we did. And we like applauding and cheering and saying, Barnabas was a really great dude. I think I would have liked to hang out with him. And everybody wants to be encouraging. But we all want to be encouraging when it's to say a few nice words here and there. We all want to be encouraging when encouragement is something that takes two seconds, very little effort. We all want to be that kind of encouraging. At least I hope you do. But that's not what being a full son or daughter of encouragement actually is. That's, that's not what we're called to do as Christians, is it? To just leave encouragement as saying a few nice things as you walk out of the church building. That's not a full encouragement, is it? If you would turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, says it this way. So, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others.' Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And we'll stop for there for the sake of this lesson. But what's the idea here? What is unity? What is a healthy body of God's people actually look like? Because these verses say to find encouragement in Jesus and his gospel, what we're called to do is to put away ourselves. To find that encouragement in Jesus, I can't care about me You can't care about you. We are called to care for each other, to serve one another, to look out for the interests of others. And that only works if everyone's doing that. If we're all putting ourselves aside and serving each other. But see, I don't want to do that all the time. Because what if if I get forgotten about what, what if that system doesn't work and I'm the one that gets neglected? So then we have this idea that the, the way to make sure I get taken care of is I'll just do it myself. You know, you can scratch my back and I'll scratch my back, too. That's the kind of idea that we have because we're focused on what can I get out of this? Because, from a physical, worldly standpoint, just objectively, what do I get out of serving you? Maybe a nice smile and a thank you. Maybe a temporary good feeling. Not not a whole lot from a worldly standpoint. But what do I get out of serving myself? I get control, or at least I get the illusion of control. So then why, Paul, why should I put away myself? What does Paul say? Paul says because that's what Jesus did. Because that's who God is. That encouragement in Christ, the good news of salvation, the good news of Jesus only came because Jesus, our Lord, was willing to humble himself and to sacrifice himself. And to think of us and give more to us than we can even fathom. And then all he calls us to do is to do that for others. To spread that encouragement in Christ to everyone here. That's what we're called to do as Christians. That's what the true encouragement looks like. To be these sons and daughters of encouragement... It starts with serving each other instead of serving ourselves. Another thing that we can see from the work of Barnabas was that he was dependable. Acts 11, I think, says he was trustworthy. He was honest, so much so that they put him to work. They trusted him to give a true report on the work in Antioch. And we see in Acts 9 that he defended Paul because of his conversion, even when it was far from convenient to do so. He was dedicated to defending the faith and the people of that faith. But what we didn't read earlier was the story with Mark. Because in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas and John Mark are being sent to Cyprus and then back to Antioch. And sometime between those two trips, Acts thirteen thirteen says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. Doesn't say why. The text doesn't even really seem to make a big deal about it. But for some reason, John Mark left the group. And then if you're kind of reading through the story of Acts, you kind of forget about that because it's kind of a throwaway line. And then you get to two chapters later and all of a sudden it's really important again. Because if you're with me in Acts, turn to chapter 15 and we'll start reading in verse 36. Acts fifteen thirty-six says, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to, take, not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So Paul and Barnabas split over this idea of what to do about Mark. And after this split, we never see Paul and Barnabas together again. And if that was the only end we have to the story, it'd be a pretty sad one. Paul and Barnabas had been through a lot together. Barnabas had stuck up for Paul when not many other people would. They were fellow workers in the highest extent. In Colossians 4, chapter, no, in Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, Paul writes this. He says, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions. If he comes to you, you should welcome him. Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 11 says that Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me in the ministry. At some point, we don't know when, but Paul had a change of heart about Mark. Now, I don't know if that's because of a change in Paul or a change in Mark, but let me propose to you that whichever of the two it is, Barnabas had a pretty major influence in it. You see, if it was Paul who changed his mind on Mark, don't you think that this sharp disagreement, as it's put in Acts 15, had some sort of long-term effect about the way that Paul thought about Mark? Or maybe we can look at it the other way. Let's say that, that Mark needed to change some aspect of his life. And maybe it was Mark who was at fault all, all along. Doesn't it seem that traveling the way he did with Barnabas helped lead him to that in some way? You see, either, either way, Barnabas defended Mark. Someone who clearly needed encouragement. Encouragement. And Barnabas was willing to take a stand. And because of that, Mark was able to be the minister that Paul needed, that he could recommend to other brothers in Christ. Barnabas showed himself a man dedicated to the work of the gospel, but also dedicated to God's people. And sometimes that meant arguments. And sometimes that meant sticking your neck out for people. But due in part to his work, Paul and Mark both became dedicated workers for God. And the lesson for us trying to be sons and daughters of encouragement is to fight for the church. Fight for your fellow Christians. Part of encouragement is building each other up. It's sharpening each other, equipping each other. We have to be a family dedicated to each other. As we're dedicated to God, we can't turn on each other, we can't backbite. We are one body in Christ, and we have to act like it. And then the final thing that I want us to see from the encouragement of Barnabas is that he gets to work. Because I don't know if you're anything like me, but I'm really bad about. I have all these nice ideas of what I'm going to do for people. But that's kind of all that sometimes they ever end up being. Because I have so many separate lists on my phone of like, remember to do something good for so-and-so. And And that's about all it ever gets to. Is that the idea of encouragement that you get from Barnabas? Because it's not what I think of when I read about Barnabas. He didn't just think about selling his field. He did it. He didn't just think about giving the money to the apostles. He did it. He didn't just think about encouraging the group in Antioch. He he did it. Because it's really easy to notice things that need to get done. I think all of us probably know somebody that's more of the passive-aggressive mindset. You guys know somebody like that? That says, wow, I really wish that someone would mow that lawn because it's getting pretty long. Or or maybe those dirty clothes are smelling pretty rough. Somebody really needs to take care of that. And we hate that. You hate hearing that. It's frustrating, right? And why is it so frustrating? Because it's really easy to see opportunities to serve. It's really easy to see opportunities to encourage. Anybody can do that. Anybody can pick out things that need to be done. What makes it encouraging is that you actually do it. You actually do the work. That's what makes it important. That you don't just wait for others to fill in the gaps that you see, that you who take the part in it. But you hear me say that all the time. We read verses almost every Sunday about working. What I want to focus on for a second is what Barnabas does next. Because Barnabas is already in Antioch. He's already encouraging. He's already doing the work. And maybe that's where some of you are right now. You're already self-sacrificing. You're already working. You're already dedicated. That is great. But this lesson is for you too. Because I've seen people get burnout or overwhelmed. Because that's what happens when you're a dependable, encouraging person, right? What does that lead to? it leads to more opportunities to show that you're a dependable, encouraging person. That's what happens to Barnabas, right? He gets sit out on all kinds of works because people trusted him. And so then you find yourself drawing in all the work. But I think what Barnabas does is incredible because he remembers that Paul guy, that fairly new convert that he helped out, that he strengthened and supported when few others would. And he says, I'm going to bring that guy to Antioch. Barnabas says, Paul, you get to work too. You see, the work of encouragement doesn't have to fall on one person. In fact, it just doesn't work when it's all on one person, not nearly as well. Encouraging is the work of all of us. And what Barnabas does is he continues his encouragement of Paul by equipping him to encourage others. So if you're the type of person that visits the shut-in, and I hope you are, find someone that you can bring with you. If you bring a meal to the sick, Find someone that can help you. If you're studying with someone about the gospel, bring people along that can aid in that study. When there's a lot of visitors and you can't meet them all personally, find someone to say, I'm going to go meet so-and-so family, and you go meet the other people. That way nobody leaves without getting a smile or a handshake. Whatever you're already doing for the work of the gospel, that's great. Keep doing it. But get others involved in that work with you. Find people who are willing to encourage with you, to join in that work. Because that's going to strengthen the church as a whole when we're all getting involved. It's going to strengthen the person that you're getting involved in the work. And it's also going to strengthen your hand as well. So if you're not a son or daughter of encouragement, it's time to get started. Don't wait for others to do all the encouraging while you sit on the sideline. But if you are already a son or daughter of encouragement, it's time to expand that work by getting others involved in it. So as we go into 2023, I think that we can all agree that we have a pretty big part to play in each other's new year here. Obviously, this year is going to bring some ups and downs. We can't avoid that. We can't change that. But this first day of the year gives us the opportunity to evaluate ourselves. How big of an impact are you here? Are you an encouragement to the brothers? Are you sacrificing yourself for the church? Are you giving for the church? Are you working hard for the church? Are you loyal and trustworthy in your work? Because if not... Now is a pretty good time to start. I want to encourage you as we start this new year, rededicate yourself to the work of God here. Look to Barnabas and start encouraging others. And as we think about that, we're going to pray and then be dismissed to our classes. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this new year, a time where we can reflect on what you've done for us and what we want to do for you. Please strengthen us and help us to look for opportunities to serve and to fulfill. Help us to do all that we can for your church. Help us to be the sons and daughters of encouragement, of encouragement, but not just any encouragement, but sons and daughters of true encouragement in Christ. We know that you bless us more than we possibly know or could speak of but we humbly ask for your continued blessings for this church and the work here in the new year. Help us to grow toward each other as we ultimately grow toward you. Thank you, Father, for loving us and for sending your son. We pray all this in his name, amen.